between June 11th to June 13th, the heads of states of some of the most powerful nations on the planet met for the annual Group of Seven Summit. The leaders of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States, including President Joe Biden, met in Cornwall, England. The heads of states of Australia, India, South Korea, and South Africa were also in attendance um, as guests. The G7 agenda included developing a response to the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change. The G7 countries reportedly agreed to pledge one billion uh, vaccines to other countries. They also pledge to reach net zero emissions by 2050. Another topic of discussion was what they referred to as an international economic cooperation in a challenge to China's Belt and Road Initiative, a global infrastructure development project spanning 70 countries um, was launched. The G7 countries launched the Build Back Better World Initiative, a plan to fund the infrastructural developments in the global south. The U.S. and the European Union also struck a deal to end a dispute over subsidies to rival plane makers, Boeing and Airbus, and phase out billions of dollars in punitive tariffs. Both sides have agreed on a five-year deal to suspend the tariffs at the center of the dispute. One clear message from the summit is that China has been acknowledged as an economic giant with the resources to establish itself as the world's preeminent power. In other words, China is seen as a so-named threat to the United States and Western domination. Russia has basically been demoted to the number two threat. European countries were cautious in their approach as to how much to push and punish China, given the economic dependency on China for their businesses. They were much more worried about Russia, whom they considered to be a neighbor, while China, they see China as a neighbor to the United States and of less concern to them. In an opinion piece published in the Washington Post, President Biden said, quote, the United States must lead the world from a position of strength when confronting the harmful activities of the governments of China and Russia. In the article, President Biden urged the major democracies to offer a quote-unquote high standard alternative to China in supporting global development. The grassroots environmental movement has also expressed skepticism over the climate solutions being proposed by the G7. Over the weekend of the summit, hundreds of protesters showed up in Cornwall to demand real climate solutions and systemic changes, not what they call false solutions to the climate crisis. Extinction Rebellion staged a nonviolent march targeting what they describe as the government's greenwashing of the climate and ecological emergency. And as we go on the air, President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin have begun their highly anticipated meeting. The presidents are meeting in Geneva. Let's go to a clip now from Bloomberg um, in the lead up to these talks. What are expectations then for this much anticipated meeting? 
Well, Anna, good morning. So the meeting is expected to last four to five hours. It's going to start off uh, later this morning, local time here in Geneva, uh, in an impressive structure from the 18th century, just uh, very close by to our vantage point called Villa Lagrange. And you think about some of the big U.S.-Russia summits over the last seven decades. Most of them have been very important to the world. A lot of them were historic milestones along the lines of Gorbachev and Reagan in 1985. But going into this... Well, it's um, not that uh, big a set of expectations. Uh, both sides describe the relationship as the ten most tense it's been in years. Uh, from the Russian side, there's an eagerness to not allow a further deterioration in relations. They see a need to sit down and have this conversation in person. Uh, on the U.S. side, the, the list is much more comprehensive. Think along the lines of the ransomware attacks, the uh, tensions over the Ukraine joining NATO, and, of course, the heavy hand on the domestic opposition in Russia. Uh, of course, uh, the key name there, Alexei Navalny. Uh, outcomes? Well, there's not likely to be any strategic friendship here. There is unlikely to be any nuclear breakthrough. I mean, let's face it, these things take years to put together. Uh, possibly uh, a re restoration of diplomatic ties that would allow some of the consular services to become operational again, which is very important for investors and for business, guys. Good morning, Youssef. Obviously, the optics of this meeting are being handled very carefully. Why is there going to be no joint press conference at the end? So, Mark, uh, when I flew in a, a few hours ago, uh, it was a fascinating sight to see sort of the Russian planes stacked and the American, American planes stacked at uh, Geneva Airport. And it took us, uh, you know, quite a few minutes to, to find our slot. But bear in mind that as we begin to count down to the beginning of these discussions, uh, the U.S. side is particularly worried that Mr. Biden is coming off the back of an eight-day whirlwind tour uh, with a lot of other leaders. Uh, he's going to be tired. He's 10 years older than Mr. Putin. So uh, they did not want to give the Russian side the opportunity to exploit any gaffes. Uh, that, of course, uh, Mr. Putin is going to be focusing on. Plenty of punches have been thrown in the run-up from both sides, uh, with the U.S. president agreeing with the characterization uh, that uh, Mr. Putin is a killer. That's in an interview with a U.S. broadcaster. And Mr. Putin, uh, again, in another interview, reacted to that and said, well, it takes one to know one. Either way, though, there's going to be uh, quite a bit of focus on trying to create something more predictable and in what Putin would describe as less colorful than Trump. Right. And uh, that was from Bloomberg and President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin meeting right now. Uh, topics for discussion are said to include cybersecurity, nuclear development and bilateral relations, among other topics. And tensions between both leaders are quite high. President Biden earlier this year called President Putin a killer and branded him as an unrepentant autocrat. But while in Europe, President Biden is being criticized by Republicans in the United States for saying that Putin was a quote-unquote worthy adversary. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin has rejected all knowledge of alleged hacking and ransomware attacks against the U.S. government, private businesses, and vital infrastructure. President Biden said the goal of the summit is to test whether Putin is willing to agree to a more stable and predictable relationship with the United States. On Tuesday, President Biden issued a warning to Putin in which he claimed that the death of jailed Russian opposition leader uh, 
um, Alexei Navalny, who has said he was poisoned by Russian intelligence, would hurt Russia's relationships with the rest of the world. Uh, Russia's government has denied playing a role in any such poisoning. One wonders what Putin will have to say to President Biden about the uptick of racial violence in the United States and other challenges confronting the Biden administration. All eyes are on this important meeting between the world's largest um, superpowers. Well, at least the largest nuclear powers, as far as we know. Here to break all of this down for us and to give us some analysis and his views, we'd like to welcome back Dr. Gerald Horn, the Morse Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books. His most recently published book is The Bittersweet Science, Racism, Racketeering, and the Political Economy of Boxing. He's also the author of The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Dr. Horn, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so, Dr. Horn, um, first, let us actually start with what is happening now. Um, following the meeting of the Group of Seven, we will go back to the G7 meeting and what came out of it. Uh, but this meeting happening now with uh, Vladimir uh, Putin and uh, President Biden. Uh, there's a lot of analysis of what might or might not come out of it. Politico has an article entitled that um, Putin has won just because Biden showed up. Of course, there's no joint. I'll tell you the whole story after uh, following it. So uh, apparently the Biden people concerned about any gaffes that President Biden may take. Give us your thoughts on this um, really mini summit between Biden and Putin. Dr. Horn. Well, although Washington does not want to admit it, in some ways, Vladimir Putin holds the Trump card, pardon the expression. What I mean is, is that the non-too-subtle and non-too-hidden agenda is for Washington to woo Moscow into its corner with regard to this all-encompassing front against the People's Republic of China. This will not be a simple task to accomplish. Indeed, it might be impossible to accomplish. But Moscow will use that leverage in order to countervail some of Washington's initiatives. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Moscow does have some disadvantages. I think one of the most important meetings that took place during this whirlwind tour by Mr. Biden was the meeting with the Turkish president, uh, Mr. Erdogan, because Mr. Erdogan and the Turks are quite supportive of uh, Moscow's antagonist in Kiev, speaking of Ukraine, keep in mind as well that Moscow and Turkey crossed swords in the Azerbaijan-Armenia uh, conflict with Russia supporting Armenia and Turkey supporting their so-called Muslim brothers in Azerbaijan. And, of course, uh, Turkey uh, won out. And then there's Syria, where they're not on the same page as well. And given the fact that going back decades, if not centuries, there's been a historic antagonism uh, between Moscow and Ankara, oftentimes uh, manifested on a religious basis, that is to say, Christian Moscow versus Muslim Turkey, I think it's possible for Turkey to be wielded as a cudgel against Moscow, and I'm sure that that is what Washington has in mind. 
Right. Well, we'll see all of what uh, comes out of it uh, there. And uh, you're quite right in terms of what the, the relationship with, with Turkey, uh, a lot at play right here. But also, Dr. Horn, given the, the G7 meeting, it used to be the G8, uh, when Russia was part of it, was invited to it, but Russia got kicked out after the incident with the, with the Ukraine. Um, but now, just in terms of what came out of the G7 uh, summit. What jumps out at you? Well, what jumps out at me with regard to the G7, of course, uh, on the surface, there are the four Cs, climate, COVID, cyber. But the fourth C is really what stands out, and that's China. Uh, once again, the ball game right now is developing an all-encompassing front against China. But there is a split, as you know, within the... EU or within the European members of the G7, the Germans are trading uh, with China. It's China. It's China's uh, major trading. It's the major trading partner uh, of the uh, Federal Republic of Germany. They sell many Volkswagens and BMWs there. Uh, at the same time, uh, you saw that President Macron was looking rather askance at this idea of focusing like a laser beam on China because he wonders how China is part of the North Atlantic, which, of course, it is not. And then there are further strains introduced with, the, with regard to the EU, because many of the former socialist regimes in Eastern Europe, the Baltic Republics, Poland, to cite just a few, are very much concerned that a focus on China will lead to a reduction of a focus on Russia, which they see as their major so-called threat or antagonist. And so given these rifts, it's not clear to me at least whether the United States will be able to knock together this all-China, this anti-China front. And in any case, there's a fundamental contradiction in, in the U.S. strategy towards China because the United States still borrows tremendously from China. And so you have the spectacle of the so-called superpower uh, borrowing from China in order to try to gain capital to weaken China. Uh, that seems to me to be an untenable uh, process and project. At the same time, China, too, has certain weaknesses that Washington will play upon. You already see this unfolding. Recall that as a result of the anti-Soviet deal that China brokered with Washington in the 1970s and 1980s, China actually backed Washington's uh, quagmire in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union, which finally drove out the Soviet Union in the late 1980s. But in helping to stoke religious zealotry in Afghanistan, it had blowback in western China amongst the Uyghurs and Xinjiang. And, of course, we now hear these stories, these lurid stories, about an alleged genocide unfolding against the Uyghurs. And then at the same time, in order to get in the good graces of Washington during the Cold War with Moscow, China, after Washington was ignominiously evicted from Vietnam, then waged its own war on Vietnam. And now, despite the fact that they are alleged communist allies, speaking in so-called communist Vietnam and so-called communist China, the Vietnamese are very wary and leery of China, and Washington plays to, plans to play on that contradiction. So China, too, has some liabilities it's going to have to address. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it seems as though um, uh, all of the talk about the genocide or oppression, exploitation of the Uyghur people in uh, China, uh, certainly uh, President Biden is using that to push the Europeans uh, to take a much stronger stand, to stand with the United States on China. But as you say, some of those countries are a bit hesitant. Now, I wonder your take about uh, what I mentioned in, in the intro, something that took place at the G7, where is um, the challenge to China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is this global infrastructure development project in 70 countries, that the G7 is now talking about launching this Build Back Better World Initiative to fund infrastructural developments in the global south. So there, there seems to be this competition, in a way, who will be in some ways, the new colonial masters of the global south, or certainly uh, which power will have tremendous uh, sway economically and perhaps in other ways of countries in the global south. Will it be China or will it be the United States and its Western allies? And as you know, Dr. Horn, practically all over Africa, in the Caribbean region, et cetera, China has been there for years, um, um, putting in uh, building roads, um, making huge loans that some people are, are critical of, saying some of these countries in the global south can't really afford to repay these loans. So there seems to be a battle also about who will now be the, what some people say, the preeminent kind of new colonial power in terms of um, economics, et cetera, in the global south. Your, your thoughts about this competition now between the Belt and Road Initiative and this Build Back Better World Initiative, Dr. Horn? Well, it's clear to me, at least, that the North Atlantic powers are disadvantaged in the developing world in this competition with China. If you look at Africa, for example, the European powers, the North Atlantic powers, have been in Africa for centuries, plundering and pillaging willy-nilly, uh, looting Africa of human capital, including the sons and daughters of Africa, such as uh, our ancestors, uh, to cite one example amongst many. And then there's the ludicrous nature of this so-called Build Back Better World, B3W as it's called, whereas once again, the North American powers plan to borrow from China in order to compete with China. Uh, they just better hope that China doesn't turn off the spigot. And then there's the further spectacle. Just in the last few weeks, you saw Foreign Minister Heiko Maas of Germany apologize for the first genocide of the 20th century against the Herero and Nama people of what is now Namibia, then German Southwest Africa, and then offering pennies and reparations because, of course, Berlin is concerned that if Namibia gets reparations, then what is now Tanzania will ask for something similar, Togo, Cameroon. And Germany is not even a major power, or has not been a major power uh, in Africa. So rather than these rumors, dreams, and promises about competing with, Africa, competing with China to build infrastructure in Africa and developing well, I would urge and encourage the North Atlantic powers to pay back in reparations and compensation for the looting, plundering, and pillaging they committed over decades, if not centuries. Right. And and then looking uh, uh, again, the, the trade deals, by the way, the EU is Russia's largest trading partner, accounting for 52 
52.3% of all foreign Russian trade in 2008 and 75% of foreign direct investment stocks in Russia also came from the EU. And altogether, um, Russia is EU's fifth largest trading partner, representing 4.8% of the EU's total trade in goods with the world in 2020. So I'm sure they are anxiously watching this meeting that's going on even as we are on the air, Dr. Horn, between um, Biden and uh, and Putin. And then, of course, there, as you mentioned, there is this Nord Stream, the system of offshore natural gas pipelines in Europe running under the Baltic Sea from Russia to Germany. But Dr. Horn, what seems to be less of a focus, perhaps, and maybe it's just media coverage, but in previous um, summits or conversations between Russia, China, or even the G7, nuclear power and nuclear weapons, nuclear proliferation was high on the agenda. It seems to be less so now and more concerned about cybersecurity. Do you think there is some truth to that? Well, I think that cybersecurity is a concern because cybersecurity can manifest itself on a weekly, if not a daily basis, with Washington pointing the finger of accusation at Moscow. With regard to nuclear weapons, uh, we can only hope that they will never become a live issue, that they will continue to be stockpiled. But once again, I think that other than the pipeline, Another major issue that needs to be focused on in the economic realm with regard to this whirlwind series of meetings in Europe is the decision by Boeing of the United States and Airbus of Western Europe to bury the hatchet, so to speak, to try to put aside their mutual grievances, because as they look over their shoulder nervously, they see that COMAC, which is a competitor to both Boeing and Airbus, and of course headquartered in China, is gaining steadily. And I think that this points to the basic economics and population figures that we need to consider. That is to say, if you add up the U.S. population of 330 million and add quite generously an EU population of 450 million, that's only about half of China's population, which means that by locking down its own internal market, China already controls uh, 20 to 25 percent of world population and can build a structure on that world, uh, on that population that can then be used as a lever to challenge the United States and the European Union and markets all over the world. So basically, the numbers don't add up for Washington and Brussels, which is one of the reasons why in this meeting today with President Putin, Mr. Biden will be seeking to woo Mr. Putin to this anti-China coalition, but I think that is basically a fool's errand. Yeah, and just finally, uh, Dr. Horn, I mean, one has to wonder or want to be a fly on the wall for this particular discussion. I mean, um, going on now between Biden and Putin, um, Biden who had called Putin a killer, an unrepentant autocrat, Putin saying, well, it takes one to know one. (laughs) Um, And now Biden um, in Europe saying that Putin is a a worthy adversary. But one has to, to wonder how much... 
of a lecture um, Biden might get or how concerned he is given uh, the human rights violations going on in the United States that all the world has seen in terms of uh, the police killings of, of black people, the mass incarceration, uh, the level of, of poverty, you know, the uptick in the um, income uh, divide. And, you know, whether part of the consideration of not having this joint uh, press conference afterwards is not only concerned about any gaffes that President Biden uh, may make, but also any swipes that uh, Putin might make in terms of what's happening in the United States, including um, the rise of these kind of right-wing militias and, and um, uh, Trump running around saying that he'll be back because Biden is not really the president. And how much can not only Russia, but the countries of the EU, the G7, uh, count on, um, you know, a, a Biden approach to foreign policy, considering given the specter of all of that in the background? Just some final thoughts from you, Dr. Horn. Well, with regard to your last point, it's clear that the EU powers, particularly France and Germany, are hedging. That is to say that like many in this country, they anticipate a Republican resurgence at the polls by means mostly foul in November 2022, and perhaps a return to the White House by Mr. Trump himself in November 2024. So any deals that they work out with Mr. Biden, like the erstwhile Iranian nuclear deal that Mr. Trump tried to scuttle, will go up in smoke. So why should they ink deals with Mr. Biden when he may only be, as the Italians might say, an intermezzo, an interlude between two bookends of Trumpism. And then with regard to your former point, uh, it's clear from the NBC interview that Mr. Putin provided uh, that uh, he has Black Lives Matter on his mind. He expressed admiration uh, for Black Lives Matter, expressed concern about what's happening to black Americans, which I have to say I was quite happy to hear. And keep in mind that after the George Floyd killing in May 2020, that the African Union nations wanted to launch a human rights investigation of the United States focused on police terror. The United States had to expend a lot of political capital to prevent that from happening. But I think that issue can return, and that's part of the leverage that Moscow has in this mano-a-mano uh, -mano confrontation with Mr. Biden that's unfolding as we speak in Geneva, Switzerland. Well, Dr. Horn, thank you so much for that. And hopefully we'll be continuing this conversation uh, with you. Our weekly roundtable is this Friday. We hope you'll be able to join us again. Dr. Gerald Horn, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. Thank you.